So let's uh, start with prayer. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. Uh, We ask that you would be with us as we talk about uh, guilt, shame, regret, repentance, forgiveness, all the above. God, we ask that you would form our biblical worldview on this, uh, that you would help to direct our thoughts and our emotions, that we would subject all that to you. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Um, People are probably going to be walking through too, so sorry about that. But basically, so we're talking about guilt. Um, If you want to, you can uh, try to find your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11. But through this four-week like Sunday school series, I want to look at guilt, failure, sorrow. And I want to try to do that with you through, through a biblical perspective. And as we look at these scriptures... I think we're going to see a contrast in them um, and probably in our own hearts between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow and to try to help us build that framework of what the difference is and and why that matters, right? Um, Because one, and you probably would guess, one leads to death and the other one leads to life, right? Um, So today, week one... We're going to look at worldly guilt, shame, failure, bringing death to our lives, godly regret, sorrow, push us towards repentance and forgiveness. So you should be at, I hope maybe, 2 Corinthians 7. Uh, we're going to look at verses 9 through 11, but mainly focus on 9 and 10, basically this. But let me ask you this. How many of you are currently living with sorrowful or grief-filled regret? Raise, raise your hand. Yeah, so that should be everybody. And for those of you who are listening at home, uh, it was here. Um, so if you, are ha- if you are living with sorrowful or grief-filled regret, then this is important for us to cover for you. So if you have a sheet of paper, uh, grab a sheet of paper uh, so you can write some stuff down. If you don't, then go grab one real quick and you can pause the audio. But as we're all sitting here, uh, so grab your sheet of paper, uh, write down some things that you are battling with and some people who you know that that battle with this also. And what I mean by that is, is with, with guilt, this idea of guilt. So some of those things that you battle with and some people who may also battle with this too, because the fact of the matter is maybe you can listen to this with them or you can share this with them. Or, um, if you're here with us right now, then maybe you can tell them where to find this, you know, in, in the future. So as we write down some of those things, here's some uh, things to help give you some ideas if you don't already have things that are popping up in your mind. Some regrets in your life might be something we did to someone else. Um, so for a very personal example, for myself, this week I um, I guess you would call it a fit of anger. I, we like to try to minimize our own sin, right? And try to call it not what the Bible calls it. Um, so I'm going to try my best not to do that and call it exactly what the Bible calls it. So I had a, what I would require, what I would refer to as a fit of anger, um, which is obviously not the fruit of the spirit towards my son, um, in front of the other ki- the oldest boy in front of the other kids, uh, which was painful for my wife to, to hear and to see, um, was painful for my son, obviously it was painful for the rest of the family. And uh, so still on Sunday now, battling with that guilt and thinking of myself as hypocritical or, you, you know, um, and, and that kind of thing. So, or perhaps it's something we did to ourselves, right? Um, maybe it's 
uh, a mistake or a sin in the past which doesn't really affect other people but just affects us, so something we did to ourselves. Or maybe it's even something that someone did to us. So a lot of times if somebody was molested or sexually abused in some kind of way, rape or, or whatever, um, or even if somebody was just grievously wronged, right? So like um, imagine the military man who had somebody pass away or the mother or father who had a child to pass away and, they, and this, this thought of, well, if I had only, right? So if I had only got up earlier then my son wouldn't have driven the car that day and then he wouldn't have gotten the accident or something, right? These, these what ifs for ourselves. And so then two, as you're writing these things down or as you've stopped and now you're contemplating, that's fine too, but how would you describe these thoughts and feelings? We, you might use terms like guilt. We might use terms like sorrow. Or terms like shame. Or grief. Conviction. All, all these are ways to describe this feeling that we feel inside for our hearts, right? Um, if you were to describe this to somebody who doesn't know Christ, how might you describe these feelings? Or if you are trying to describe these feelings to somebody in sharing, how would you describe them, right? Some people would describe them like a, a gnawing in the gut or a tightness in the chest or a pain of some sort. So I want you to think about how would you describe words like these? Because we have biblical texts that talks about this kind of stuff. I'm... I'm uh, I want to direct you to, it's not one we're going to cover right now, but just thinking about it, uh, one that I go to often um, is Psalm 51 and how David will talk about his guilt and his sin or his shame and how he talks about it's like broken bones, right? It's like this cancerous thing inside of him and that he wants help with. Well, in James 2.10, um, there's this word eknos in the Greek, uh, it means guilt of connection with a crime or penalty of trial. So that would be the guilt that one feels like in a courtroom, right? So like if you're on trial, which probably none of you have been, I have been. And so, <laughs> so when you're standing before the judge, right? And uh, that's legal guilt, that eknos is, is what James is, is talking about. And he, in what he says in there is, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it, right? So that's that kind of guilt that he's talking about there, a, a substantive rather than an emotive. Does that make sense? Um, there's the word that I want to talk about with you today is, is um, I might pronounce this wrong, but it's lepio or lipio which means to affect one with sadness or throw into sorrow. That's the kind of guilt that I'm talking about. Now, but now both of these kinds of guilt God speaks to, both of these kinds of guilt God deals with. Um, but what I want to talk about today is this emotive side of guilt. Um, Carrie Wyatt describes our initial definition of repentance uh, this way. She says, in our day, the command to repent sometimes feels like a judgment, as if pronouncing guilt, like you're guilty on somebody, right? But she goes on, she says, but repent means to feel sorry for a past action and even to be inspired to change once we realize the errors of our ways. So that's um, 
from Carrie Wyatt and Deeper into the Word as a book that she wrote, uh, if you're interested in that. I would agree with most of that, but I would even go farther and to say repent means to feel sorry for a past action. I think repent, she misses it there, I believe, in that repent means more than just to feel sorry, right? If any of you have ever had a child and seen them interact on the playground, you know that they can go and even say, I'm sorry, and they don't feel a thing, right? And we can feel sorry for things, you know, like I see a, a whale washed up on the beach, and I'm sorry for the whale, right? But that doesn't, that's not the kind of thing that would bring any kind of repentance in my life. So I think that we need to talk more about what real sorrow means. So what's, how would you describe, so you can write this down too if you want on your, on your sheet of paper, but, or think, of, uh, think about it. Um, what is the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow? And how would you describe that to someone? Especially someone who may not have a, a Christian background. Well, and the good news is, <clears throat> as you write down, or as you think through, and of course, if you're listening to this, you can pause this and spend some time in prayer about it. But if, as you think about what is the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow, that's where we're going to go in 2 Corinthians. So, if you're there, we'll look at 2 Corinthians 7, uh, 9 and 10. And this is what he says. He says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, right? Not because there was sorrow alone, but because you were grieved into repenting. Now that is a powerful statement. But he goes on, right? There's more. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Now, think about whatever definition you wrote down as you paused this or as you're currently writing that down right now. Whatever definition you would have had between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow, how does this verse change your understanding of that? And even as you contemplate that right now, I would encourage you, if you're in class, obviously we can't do that and we're going to keep going, but if you want to listen to this again when you're at home or if you are listening to this, pause this right now and just meditate on these verses, the difference between godly grief and worldly grief or Godly sorrow, worldly sorrow. I'm going to read it again. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved. So he's rejoicing not just because these folks were sad, right? Or not just because they had sorrow. Now, at some point, right, as parents or as friends or as, as for, for, our, for people or spouses or whatever, we should be glad to some degree when people feel bad about sin, right? When, when, they, when their conscience is working correctly, and they are grieved because of an offense, we should be happy because that means that their hearts are, are soft and that they're, but also he says, I rejoice not because you were grieved, not don't, he's happy that it didn't just stop there. Cause there's again, right? Like there's one thing to just feel bad for something. Like I feel bad that I yelled at my son and that I hurt my wife because of how I treated him. But it says, because you were grieved into repenting. So here's what I did, and this is not to puff me up, okay? This is just an illustration because I know that I'm about to get up here and preach. Um, 
because I felt this way, this morning I was reminded of the passage where it talks in Matthew that if you're about to bring an offering to God and you realize that you have an offense against your brother, leave your offering at the altar and go and make restoration with that relationship and then come back and offer your offering, sacrifice your sacrifice. And so this morning, I don't know if they're going to come to church or not, but um, this morning I went back home and gathered the family around and repented before my wife and before my son, before God and asking for forgiveness. Um, and again, this is not to pat myself on the back at all um, because I sinned uh, against them. And so I'm simply doing what we are called to do as a Christian. Um, but it says here, you know, so you can rejoice as my brother or sister in Christ. You can rejoice not because I was simply grieved, but pray for me that because I was grieved into repenting that God would grant that forgiveness, which I believe that he will through his son, Christ Jesus, right? That my wife and my son would grant that forgiveness, which I hope that they will through the power of Christ Jesus. And that I would genuinely make a change in how I deal with them in the future or why I was angry or whatever happened. Um, there's a word in here um, for repent, metanoion in the Greek. Metanoion or something like that in the Greek. Repent means a change of mind which, which results in a change of lifestyle. To change one's way of life as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. So what he's saying in the text here is, I rejoice because you were grieved in your heart, because you felt emotional pain towards this, but not, I'm, I'm not happy because of that. I'm happy because that emotional pain was the outworking of your conscience, which caused you to bring you to a place of metanoia, to actually changing of your thoughts and your actions in that situation in the future or in, or the way that you thought or acted in the past that you were seeking to change that type of behavior uh, and change one's way of life as this. And he says, uh, for you felt a godly grief. And that's what the difference is between worldly sorrow and godly grief, right? That godly grief is for our repentance, for our salvation, for our sanctification. And worldly sorrow is just something that stops right there. It's an emotion that over time we will either get over or unfortunately, as we see in, this, in the um, psychological world, that will completely envelop us and destroy us because there's no outlet for that. So here's a, um, <clears throat> another quote uh, from, from that book. It says, It happens when we are perhaps confronted by a person or our conscience by the Holy Spirit and think again about what we have done. We feel regret, but we don't stop there. We seek forgiveness. But also we change our actions. We decide to go a new way. We make it right. To repent is not just to feel guilty over our mistakes. And this is where she clarifies, and I'm, I'm happy about that. But to choose a new path. It is to make a 180-degree turn to turn around and walk in a new direction. And again, that was by Carrie Wyatt Kent from Deeper Into the Word. And so as we think about godly sorrow, its goal then, if we look at verse 10, godly grief, godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. 
How cool is that? That probably the whole fact that we feel guilt, right? That we feel this shame, that we feel this sorrow, that we feel this regret for in the past. If when we bring it to God, it leads to salvation without regret. This is a freedom from bondage. So as you think about this for yourself and how you would apply it, as you think about this for your friends and your family, what is the difference here according to Paul? Let's talk about what are some ways that people deal with guilt negatively. So maybe on your sheet of paper, write down some ways that you yourself or people you know might deal with guilt negatively. So things that maybe you've done in the past to deal with guilt negatively Um, Things that friends and family where you've observed that they deal with guilt negatively. I'm going to read you another quote here. Um, I don't have it on my sheet where this is from. So Anyway, but this is what it says. Pain and guilt can lead to destructive behaviors. We cope with pain in several ways. Some people might turn to drugs or alcohol or self-harm, perfectionism. Did you ever think of that? Did you ever think that some people deal with guilt in actually becoming legalistic and perfectionists? And it's like this control thing or, or whatever. But So anyway, uh, so there's different ways that people can, can deal with guilt. Uh, and the quote goes on, perfectionism. Or many other behaviors that ultimately bring about death. There's a, a, a movie... Man on Fire, um, directed by Tony Scott. Um, Denzel Washington plays Creasley. This is bodyguard of this young girl in Mexico. Creasley is plagued by his past and some of the terrible things that he's done. So throughout the film, he asks his close friend, do you think God will forgive us for what we've done? Creasley is pessimistic, rude, and an alcoholic. In one scene, he brings whiskey, uh, he, he binges on whiskey, I'm sorry, while listening to sad music and playing with his handgun. As he deals with his guilt and depression, Creasley eventually tries to shoot himself, only to find that the gun did not go off. This is a turning point in the movie for Creasley, and eventually leads for him to sacrifice himself for that little girl that we talked about. Now, full disclosure, I have not seen this movie. I'm not sure what it's rated. My guess would be it's probably it's rated R. Okay, so I'm not advocating this film, but it's an interesting illustration, isn't it? Um, That we have seen in our own lives, if we're honest, and we've seen in the lives of others, destructive ways that we deal with guilt. I want you to, if you you would, for a minute, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Now, if you are uh, attending Allegan Bible Church as you're listening to this, you know that we're going to start the Sermon on the Mount this Sunday also. And so pretty soon we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 because it's 5, 6, and 7. But as you turn to Matthew chapter 6, I want you to find verse 12, if you can, where he says, And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors, or as we also have forgiven our debtors. This word, forgive, aphes, in the Greek or a feast or something, means to dismiss, to depart from, to leave. Its primary meaning is to send forth or to send something away. Sometimes guilt 
is founded upon our sin against God, and sometimes guilt is founded upon our sins against ourselves. Of course, there are still sins against God, right? If you, if you understand, I guess, what I'm saying. But what I'm getting at is here is forgiveness sets people free from the bondage of guilt. And so Paul, what he's saying here earlier is this godly grief, this godly sorrow should bring you to a place of repentance, of seeking forgiveness. And then Christ Jesus tells us and Paul tells us and the other, those who wrote the New Testament have told us that Christ came to die for sins, right? And that when we lay those sins at the foot of the cross, that they are covered, they are aphis, they are forgiven. Means that they are dismissed, means that they have been told to leave, means that they are sent away. In fact, scripture says one, um, I think it's in Romans, where it says that our sin will be removed as far from us as the east is from the west. And there's a reason that the writer did that, not even knowing that the world was round at that time, right? So this is back when they thought the world was flat. And maybe some of you guys still do too, and that's okay. But here's the thing. They, they, here's what they say, though. As far as the east is from the west. And so whatever you believe on that, it's this illustration of the farthest thing that they could do, right? Because we have this north pole and the south pole that are magnetic ends or whatever, if you will. And they're using this as an illustration to say this, this guilt, this shame, this sin, this regret that you are dealing with, when you bring it to Christ, it is going to be flung from you as far as God can fling it. And our God is an eternal God. And so through God's power, we can learn to forgive ourselves and others and find then relief from this, God, from this guilt, from this, from this sorrow that we have. So on your sheet of paper, write down some things that you are battling with and some people that you know who are battling with us. That's what we started with, right? So some things that you, so you don't have to write it down again, but those things that are there, look at that, look at that on your sheet of paper. Hopefully you've done that. Again, these regrets in our life can be something that we have done to someone else, something that we did to ourselves, or something that someone did to us. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. So maybe make this a note on there. Spend some time this week bringing these things before God and seeking forgiveness. If these are things that you are the perpetrator of, that you feel guilt because you have perpetrated, then bring these things before God and seek forgiveness. And as you do that, meditate on this verse that we've been talking about. Go back and read over and pray through 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10 as you are dealing with these issues before God. And I'm sure some of you uh, are smarter than I am, and so you already know where the next one is going to be. So that would be number one. Number two would be this. Spend some time this week bringing this before God and asking him to help you to forgive those who have perpetrated against you. Because again, remember what we just read in Matthew. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so guilt and the lack of forgiveness, I believe, just go hand in hand. For example, right, the one that hits close to home. How can I get up on Sunday mornings and preach about the fruit of the Spirit and during the week not manifest that to my own family? I must repent from that. I must seek forgiveness for that. And how can I... How can I forgive others? Um, or I, I, how? Yeah. How? How? Yeah. 
how can I ask God to forgive me if I am not willing to forgive them? For whatever the, you know, I mean, my son did something that I don't think that he should have done, but that did not merit the response that he got. The response that he got was, I guess it would be the equivalent of, you know, stepping over the demilitarized zone and then being responded with with a nuclear blast, basically, right? It's like, oh, if you're going to step over this line, we're just going to drop a nuke on you. And, and um, you know, so uh, verbally and temper-wise and stuff, it was not, it did not correspond. But so here's the two things. As you look at 2 Corinthians, as you look at that text, as you look at Matthew's call for us to forgive, right? Jesus's... Um, prayer, spend time this week bringing these things before God and seeking forgiveness, seeking to lay your guilt down. And secondly, spend some time this week bringing this before God and asking him to help you to forgive others. Because this, remember, this is how we started. This was the big idea of this. Worldly guilt, shame, and failure bring death to our lives. Worldly guilt does nothing for us except for breed bitterness, contention, strife, Worldly guilt brings death, but godly regret, godly grief, godly sorrow push us towards repentance and forgiveness. And that is why the world has no answer for guilt. So the application that I hope that you have from this week is that we will find conviction repentance and forgiveness in our time of sin and failure rather than just storing it up as guilt. It's okay to feel conviction when that leads you to repentance. And when you have been brought to repentance, that means you have obtained forgiveness. And that is just one more notch in your belt, so to speak, as the sanctification process as God moves us forward. So, uh, for week one, as we look at guilt, shame, and regret, the main point of this whole thing was to understand the difference between worldly guilt and godly regret. And how to, I hope, in our own hearts, start putting guilt and regret and shame in those categories so that we can understand how we're supposed to deal with it moving forward, if that makes sense. So let's pray. God, our Father. We do ask that you would forgive us our sins. And we do ask that you would help us to forgive others. We know that without Christ Jesus, you have told us that he is the vine, that we are the branches, and that without him we can do nothing. And so we would simply ask that your power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of your son, Jesus Christ, would flow into our hearts through his, uh, through the Holy Spirit, And that would then empower us to forgive others. And not just to forgive them the way that the world forgives, which means it won't bring it up for another 20 years until it's advantageous for us to cancel culture them, but rather for us to forgive as you have forgiven us, which means to fling it as far as the East is from the West. That you will choose to dismiss it. So help us to forgive that way. And then also, Lord, help us as we are dealing with grief and shame and guilt that we would take it out of the worldly grief 
and shame and guilt, which produces death, and we would move it to the camp of godly grief, and we would see it as a righteous call from you to bring us to the foot of the cross and then receive forgiveness. And then be with our hearts as you give that, that we might actually accept that forgiveness that you offer. We ask this in the name of your Son. Amen.